Well, good morning, Grace Chapel, Lexington, Wilmington, Watertown. Good to be with you all with the uh, Christmas holiday and the snow day and the monologue and all kinds of stuff. It feels like a while since I've just been standing here talking to you. <laughs> so here I am, and I'm glad to be here and glad you're with us as well. Uh, the Acton Institute is a respected economic think tank, and recently they came out with a list of the top five TV shows about work. And here they are in no particular order. First, Dirty Jobs, which features Mike Rowe taking on some of the messiest, most unpleasant jobs on the planet, like roadkill cleaner, sludge recycler, and other jobs too dirty to mention in church. <laughs> restaurant Impossible. Chef Robert Irvine tries to save a failing restaurant in two days with $10,000 and a lot of screaming. My wife's favorite, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives in which foodie Guy Fieri tours the country in search of greasy spoons, tasty food, and some of the hardest-working people in America. Shark Tank, where would-be entrepreneurs pitch their business ideas to a panel of heartless, high-powered investors. And finally, Undercover Boss, in which CEOs go to work for their own company and discover what it's like to have to work for a living. Now, those are just five of dozens and dozens of cable and network TV shows that explore the burden and the glory of work. And what that serves to reveal is how important, how intriguing this dimension of life is for contemporary Americans. Now, we shouldn't be surprised about that. We spend a major part of our lives working. A third of our lives, at least more than half of our waking hours, we spend working. Eight hours a day, at least, 40 hours a week, 1,700 hours a year, as many as 100,000 hours in a lifetime at work. Now, those are only the hours we spend on the job. That doesn't count housework, yard work, volunteer work, snow shoveling. <laughs> whatever, whatever tasks we have to accomplish in any given day to keep our, our, our lives working and our world working. When you think about all the time and energy that goes into our work, it's a wonder we have time and energy for anything else in life, let alone for whatever mission God may have put on our hearts. Now, this year here at Grace, we are exploring what it means to live on mission, to align our lives, our everyday lives, with God's heart for the world. From September to June, we're exploring that theme. So back in September, we spent 10 weeks in the book of Acts following the Apostle Paul on his mission from city to city around the empire. And we were learning week by week how to align our lives with God's heart. We learned that God's heart, God's mission, is to save people from the effects of sin and to restore this planet to its intended splendor. And so from week to week, we talked about, about words and deeds. We talked about evangelism and justice. We talked about engaging the culture and serving the city and uh, going into hard places and living with courage. And Sunday after Sunday, we were inspired and challenged and equipped to go out there and live on mission. And then every Monday morning, the alarm clock would go off. And we would head out the door to school or work or the grocery store or wherever it is you go to do whatever you have to do to bring home a paycheck to provide for yourself and your loved ones. We spend a major part of our life's energy at work. Well, what does that mean 
for the mission God has put on our hearts? Do we, do we set it aside for 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week while we take care of business? Do we go off mission when we're at work? Or is there a way to leverage our work to serve our mission? What if those 40 or 50 or 60 hours could somehow serve God's purposes in this world? What if we could be on mission and at work at the same time? That is where we're headed in this teaching series, Work Matters. For the next four Sundays, we're going to be exploring what it means to be on mission in the places we spend most of our days. Now, I hope you understand, this is not just a series for people who head out the door for a nine-to-five job five days a week. This is for all of us because all of us work. This is for students and retirees and stay-at-home moms and dads. It's for the pre-employed and the underemployed. It's for those who are preparing for work, looking for work, resting from work. It's for everybody who wakes up in the morning with a to-do list in their head or on their phone or stuck to the refrigerator with a magnet. We all work. So we're not going to cover all the issues related to faith and work. We explored some of these a handful of years ago in a series we did. Our focus in this series is on the intersection, the connection between our work and God's work. How to be on mission and at work at the same time. We're going to look at a variety of scriptures as we make our way through. We're going to begin today at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. So you can open up your Bibles if you'd like or follow on the screens. But let's discover why our work matters to God and to the world. Let's look at the very first words recorded in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're only five words into the Bible and already we're working. God's working. I mean, don't miss this. The very first thing we learn about God is not that He's holy or loving or righteous. The first thing we learn about God is that He's a worker. The first thing we learn about the universe is not that it's big and beautiful. The first thing we learn about the universe is that it was made. It was manufactured. It was produced, it was launched, it was delivered, it was implemented. Whatever word you want to use, it's a synonym for work. The first activity recorded in the Bible wasn't a worship service or a prayer meeting or an act of charity or a reading of the rules, all the things we normally associate with religion and faith. The first activity recorded in the Bible is a work day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, let's, let's keep reading. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's just notice for a minute the different kinds of work that God did when he brought the universe into existence. First of all, he brought order out of chaos. Now, how many of you in your daily work bring order out of chaos? Moms, administrative assistants, 
event planners, project managers. If you organize, categorize, prioritize, synthesize, you're doing the kind of work God did when he brought the universe into existence. Secondly, he created structure where there was empty space. How many of you in your daily work build things? Buildings, organizations, teams, architects, tradespeople, engineers, manufacturers. When you build things, you're doing what God does. Thirdly, he named things. Now, how many of you in your daily work use words to communicate value, meaning, identity to people and events and experiences? Parents, teachers, lawyers, counselors, journalists, these words. And then he recognized and championed what was good. God saw what he had made and it was good. How many of you in your daily work produce, provide, or promote things that are good for people and society? Things that are, that are useful, things that, that make the world work better. I'm thinking of farmers, inventors, healthcare workers, social workers, artists, musicians, lawmakers, bankers, providing resources for people. You see what I'm getting at. When, when, you, when you work, when you bring order out of chaos, when you build things that are useful, when you use words to communicate ideas and information, when you provide goods and services that benefit people, you are doing what God's been doing from the very beginning. Your work matters. Your work matters whether you get paid for it or not, whether you get recognized for it or not, whether it's explicitly Christian or not. Your work matters because it's God's work, the work he's been doing from the beginning. Now, we won't have time to read all of chapter one. We know the general flow of it. In in a six-day work week, literally or metaphorically, six-day work week, God created the entire universe. Days one through three, he formed it, Light, darkness, heavens, earth, sky, a seas, and land. Days three through six, he filled it. He filled the heavens with lights. He filled the seas with fish. He filled the sky with birds. He filled the land with vegetation. He filled the earth with animals. What I find especially intriguing about the Genesis account is the variety, the abundance, the expansiveness of the way it reads Just listen to a few lines. Verse 11. Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land according to their various kinds. From the very beginning, it's clear that God wants more vegetation. He wants different kinds of plants. Same thing in verse 20. Let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly across the expanse of the sky. Writer and thinker Andy Crouch recently called my attention to that word team. When was the last time you used the word teeming in a sentence? Teeming describes a superabundance. It describes swarming. 
He, he wants us to picture great schools of fish wending their way through the ocean. He wants us to see great flocks of birds winging their way across the sky. Down to verse 22. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. He wants more life. He wants more beauty. He wants more diversity. He wants more activity. And then he begins, then he gets to the animals, all kinds of them. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground. And God saw that it was good. And so we have this world, this universe teeming with life and, and, and beauty and activity. And built into the very fabric of it is the potential for more life, more beauty, and more activity. He expects it all to increase and expand. God wants his world to flourish. But there's one problem. Who's going to oversee all this beauty and activity? Who's going to manage all this expansion and diversification? Who's going to tend to the plants and care for the animals? Who's going to keep the dogs from chasing the cats and the dandelions from taking over the backyard? (laughs) And so in his final creative act, God creates yet another creature, different from and better than anything he's done yet. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God creates this new kind of being, male and female, to reflect his full nature. And then the first thing he does, he gives them a job description. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, could God have overseen it all without them? Of course. Could he have designed the world to be self-sustaining and self-actualizing? Of course. But he chose not to. He chose to create beings in his image who would share the work with him, you and me. Then he authorized and empowered us to go out into that world and to oversee all that he's made and to bring it to its full potential. God may have rested on the seventh day, but he didn't quit because the work wasn't done. And on day eight, whatever that looked like, whenever it was, on day eight, day eight, an alarm clock went off and that man and woman went to work in the very good world that God had made. My friends, this is a very big deal. I think this is a bigger deal than many of us have realized. I think we have tragically overlooked the significance of Genesis 1-2 for our lives. In Christian circles, we often speak about what we call the Great Commission, That was the the final charge Jesus gave to his disciples before he returned to heaven there in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. That that was and is a great commission. We dare not neglect it or overlook it. But before there was a great commission, there was a first commission. And it's this commission right here in Genesis chapter 1. To fill the earth and subdue it, to make the world more beautiful, to make it more productive, to make it everything God intended it to be. You see, God did not create the world fully formed. He created it with potential. He wants it to increase and expand and flourish. And so he has inhabited this world with his agents, his partners, his co-laborers. And when we do that, 
When we work in a way that contributes to human flourishing, we are on mission. We are on mission. And just so there's no mistake about it, in in chapter 2, the scripture gets even more focused on this idea. Verse 15. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There it is for the first time, that four-letter word, work. But it's not a bad word. Remember, this is paradise. The fall hasn't happened yet, but there's work to be done. You know, we tend to imagine the Garden of Eden as some kind of a primitive club med with Adam and Eve sitting around on lawn chairs, sipping lemonade, watching the sunset while the animals romp playfully in the trees. That's not the picture here in Genesis 1. No, there was work to be done. Those plants needed tending and pruning so they would produce more and better fruit. Those animals needed naming and taming so they would be useful. Adam and Eve needed to procreate, to bring more human beings in this world. Some work is more fun than others, right? (laughs) And those offspring would need to be nurtured and protected and, and, and released into the world to do their work. And somebody would have to make the lemonade. It didn't take care of itself. Now, eventually, the fall will happen. And yes, work will be cursed and get hard and frustrating and sometimes futile. And we'll talk about that in weeks to come. But from the beginning, work was part of the very good world that God made. See, God wants the world to flourish. He wants more for human beings. He wants better for this world. He wants there to be more knowledge of how this world works. He wants new species of insects to be discovered and named. He wants new strains of wheat to be cultivated that can grow in arid places around the world. He wants new songs to be sung and new books to be written and new flavors of ice cream to be enjoyed on a hot summer's day. He wants energy to be greener. He wants cars to be safer. He wants technology to be faster. He wants children to be well-fed, well-dressed, well-educated, and well-loved. He wants cancer to be cured. He wants uh, homes to be built. He wants crime to be stopped. You get the idea. God wants his world to flourish. And when we work hard and well at whatever he calls us to do, we are on mission. So that's the first lesson in our little four-week journey here. Work matters when it contributes to human flourishing. Work matters when it contributes to human flourishing. Being on mission is not just about sharing the gospel and, and serving the church and volunteering at a soup kitchen once a month. Yes, it includes those things, but it begins with the daily work you and I are called to do to make life better and the world work better for the people that God has made. Well, we spoke a little earlier about uh, that show, Dirty Jobs, hosted by Mike Rowe. Now, I know the show has actually been canceled, but Mike Rowe has some other things up his sleeves already. Uh, In an interview with Guidepost magazine, Mike Rowe talks about how he came to value hard work and hardworking people. And it all began with his grandfather, Pop Rowe. His grandfather was a kind of a super handyman. He could fix or build anything. 
Mike, on the other hand, was not very good at those sorts of things. Mike remembers a day as a kid working with his grandfather building a patio in the backyard. And after several mistakes and mishaps, he finally said in frustration, I can't do anything right. His grandfather said, sure you can. Not like you, Pop. You could build a whole city if you wanted to. I can't even mix cement. Pop thought about it for a moment and then said something that Mike never forgot. God gave me a toolbox, Mike, and he gave you one too, but he didn't give us the same toolbox. Understand? Now, Mike eventually came to discover his own set of tools in the, in the theater, in the arts, and eventually in broadcasting. And he has used those tools to bring value and dignity and humor to millions of people and to our work in particular. Well, God gave you a toolbox as well, a set of skills, passions, talents, experiences, education, connections that enable you to do something good in this world with God's help. It's a unique toolbox. No one else can do what you can do for this world. And when you do that, when you contribute to human flourishing, you are on mission. Now again, there's more to being on mission than simply doing our daily work, and we'll talk about that in weeks to come, but it begins right there. Back in the fall, we spoke about different sectors of society. We identified eight categories of work and influence that shape our culture, that shape the world in which we live, and talked about the importance of, of working in those different sectors of society. We want to revisit those sectors as a part of this little series. So each week, we're going to take two of those sectors of society, those categories of work. We're going to think about them a little bit. And then we are going, at the end of the sermon, to pray for and commission people who work in those sectors of society. Let me remind you again of what those sectors were. I'll be thinking about which one might best apply to you. This morning, we're going to think in particular about education and home building. Education and home building. By home building, I don't mean construction. I mean folks who create environments in which people live. So we're talking about students, educators, stay-at-home parents, retirees, children's youth workers, etc. Next week, we'll focus on people who work in commerce, any kind, and culture making. It's a pretty big category. Business people, manufacturers, work in retail, the trades, technology, service industries, finance, arts, entertainment, that whole category of people next week. Three weeks, on 19th, we'll think about people who work in healthcare and in human services. So doctors, nurses, all kinds of medical personnel, people who counsel, therapists, social workers, anyone in the helping professions. And then on the 26th, we'll think about folks who work in government and in the areas of law and justice. So that will include the whole legal world, people in law enforcement, civil service, armed forces, those kinds of things. Now hopefully you can find yourself somewhere in that list. I'm not sure where roadkill cleaner would fit, but it's probably up there somewhere. And it could be that more than one will apply to you. That's okay. But we would like you to think about the one that, in which you tend to spend most of your days. It could be something you're preparing to work in, 
could be something that you devoted much of your life to, could be an area in which you're looking for work, but think about that area, and we'll be thinking about it in the weeks to come. So today, let's think for a moment about education, and that includes all kinds of people doing all kinds of work. It begins with the students themselves, students of any age, who five days a week, ten months out of a year, get up in the morning and go off to school or class or campus to learn as much as they can about this world. Students of any age, students of any kind, I want you to know your work matters. In these years, every day, you are filling your toolbox with skills, with knowledge that can prepare you for doing something good in this world. Your work as a student matters. It obviously includes teachers, specialists, teachers' aides, from, from preschool right on through to the highest levels of education and, and homeschoolers as well. We're thinking about women and men who spend the better part of their days imparting knowledge, nurturing character, creating environments in which students can thrive intellectually, socially, artistically, athletically. Teachers, your work matters. You are nurturing the next generation of workers and leaders for our country and the church and our world. It includes all the support staff of educational institutions, custodians, technicians, clerical staff, lunchroom workers, bus drivers, and monitors. Schools could not function without the work you do every day. Then there are the administrators, the principals, the superintendents, the headmasters, the guidance counselors, the registrars, all who bear direct responsibility for the flourishing of students and campuses which are under their oversight. Then, of course, there are the volunteers, the school board, the parent-teacher association, the room mothers, the booster club. I mean, you may not get paid for your work, but what you do probably makes the difference between a mediocre school and an excellent school. And then, of course, you have the parents who drive the carpool, who make the lunches, who pay the tuition, who oversee the homework, who help with the diorama, who make a run to Staples at 8 p.m. for the project that's due tomorrow that the kid didn't tell you about until dinner that night. All that stuff. You see how many people it takes for education to flourish? How many toolboxes it takes to get the job done and to get it done well? But when it does get done and it gets done well, children reach their potential. Skilled workers enter the workforce. Leaders emerge for society and the church. The economy begins to thrive, and every other sector of society flourishes when education flourishes. If you do any kind of work in that field, your work matters. That is just one of a multitude of sectors of society in which people work, and we'll talk about some more in the weeks to come. I don't know what particular sector or space you work in, healthcare, government, business, finance. I don't know what particular set of tools you've been given, 
a sharp mind, a strong back, skilled hands, an eloquent voice, a creative eye, a nurturing heart. I don't know what you've been given, but whatever space you work in, whatever tools you've been given, they enable you to do something good in this world, to contribute to human flourishing. And when you do that, you are joining God in his work. It's good work. It's God's work. It's living on mission. There's lots more to talk about in the weeks to come. But now as we come to the end of the message and before we come to our communion table, we want to take a moment to pray for and commission those of our congregation who work in the fields of education and home building. I'm going to put, the, put it up on the screens again. If you fall into this category, we've talked about education already. By home building, we mean anyone who, who, who spends the major part of their day creating an environment, a space in which people live or visit or are, are nurtured. So students, educators, stay-at-home, retirees, children's youth workers, if you feel like this category fits you, in just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand. Now, just so you can see the weeks that are coming, topics coming up in the weeks ahead, so you can find yourself, this is where we're headed in the weeks to come. Again, it could be you'll stand twice, that's okay, we won't keep track, we'll pray for you every week if we have to, um, but uh, just so you can find where you are, are serving. And it could be you want to stand for something you're preparing to work in or retired from working in. So at this point, I'm going to release our, our campuses so they can do their own thing and be prayed for there. But here in Lexington and in the courtyard, if you work in these two fields, I'm going to ask you just to stand right now where you are. Education, home builders, just stand where you are for a moment. And I've asked Pastor Cynthia Fantasia to come and lead us in this prayer. Uh, as most of you know, Pastor Cynthia has been working with uh, home builders, uh, Women who, many women who spend the major part of their day creating environments at home. And uh, Cynthia also has spent some years as a public school teacher before she joined the staff. So, Cynthia, would you come and pray for these folks? You are looking great, my goodness. A lot of you. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father. It is truly a humbling privilege to come before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, and to know with assurance that you are delighted to welcome us into your presence. Thank you for the gift you've given us of prayer, the gift that comes from a relationship with you. Lord, we come to this place week after week. We come to worship you. We come to seek your guidance. We come to ask for your blessing in our lives and then to go out into your world to do the work that you've called us to do. From the beginning of time, you have called us to partner with you to care for your world. We read your words in Jeremiah when you said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. We're set apart to respond to the holy call that you have placed on each life. And today, Lord, we too, we too set apart those who are committed to nurturing and growing the next generation, committed to investing in the world yet to be, teachers, stay-at-home parents, students whose focus is on what they will do in the years ahead, and those who are in the season of retirement. 
Lord, these folks have committed to making a difference in your world by pouring into the lives of the young and the vulnerable. Lord, this is a challenging world, and at times these individuals, I'm sure, may become discouraged. Discouraged as they engage in what seems to be an uphill, long-haul, and often exhausting experience. But Lord, may they never forget that they're shaping young lives. They're molding tender hearts. Like you, the potter, shaping us, the clay, I pray that these people would understand deep in their being the importance of the role they have chosen, the role that you have called them to. Lord, I thank you for the women and the men you have called to work in education. Bless their hearts with your love and your joy and your peace. Lord, give them words of patience and kindness and goodness. Give them eyes to see you in the face of each child, each student they connect with. Give them wisdom to deal with the challenges they face each day in this changing world. A world that has certainly changed the dynamics of a classroom, the politics of a school system, and the needs that each student carries with him or her into the school day. Lord, we thank you for the moms and the dads who have made the choice to stay at home full-time to raise their children. Give them the grace and the strength necessary to teach, to love, and to grow the children you've entrusted to them. I know there are and will be days when no one notices what they do, when no one says thank you, and when life just doesn't go as planned. And during those times, Father, I pray they would hear your voice deep in their hearts saying, well done, one day at a time. For grandparents, for aunts and uncles, and all those who make up the circle surrounding these impressionable lives, refresh, Father, refresh and strengthen them. And Lord, I thank you right now for those who are standing, those who are in the retirement season of life. Father, bring to their minds and their hearts the value of the work they have done, the value of the investment they have made, and the value of knowing that they too have made a difference in the lives of others. Lord, even now, draw people to them, people who will benefit from their experience and grow from the lessons that they can learn from these seasoned individuals. Father, give them opportunities to mentor others, thus continuing to invest in future generations. Give all these people, those standing in this room and in the courtyard, Father, we pray that you would give them the power the wisdom, and the courage to continue to live kingdom lives. Bless them with perseverance so they do not grow weary in doing good, so they flourish as salt and light, and so they continue to fix their eyes on Jesus for the work you've called them to. Lord, we commission them into your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we affirm those folks who are standing now? During the Advent season, we reminded ourselves that the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. He didn't just live for a while among us. He worked for a while among us. For many years, that work meant 
providing for his family, working with his hands, probably in a carpenter's shop every day. At a certain point, that work involved feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, teaching the crowds, valuing children. Eventually, that work would take him to the cross, where he would lay down his life for the forgiveness of our sins, to set us free to fulfill our potential. So as you receive these elements, these very real elements, the bread and the cup, let them remind you that Christ was really here, that he really worked. Let them remind you of the work he did that enables us to be forgiven and to fulfill our potential in this world so this world can flourish as he intended it.